very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. Welcome to Chopper Profits, the actual video edition. We are joined today by Tony Nguyen. Hi. From Land Speed Motorcycle Shop in right. Fountain Valley, California. That's me. Glad to be here. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. We have this huge audience back here. <sighs> this is the uh, first video podcast, so. It is. Hopefully, it'll work out. We're experimenting, so. Now you get to see our mugs, you get to see the guest mugs, and uh, hopefully, that's good for everybody. For some reason, my throat is super parched right now. We've been talking about doing this interview for months, <laughs> and the one day we get to do it. All of a sudden, throat locks up. I'm a little parched. <laughs> well, um, so the reason why I wanted to have Tony on the show is multifold. Um, Tony has been a supporter for uh, quite a few folks for a number of years, uh, not only in the chopper scene. Well, I say quite a few folks, but probably... I wouldn't be able to count because I don't know all the folks you've helped, and I'm sure you'll tell us about that. Um, Tony, while Tony's never actually built a uh, chopper for specifically for Born Free, he has built plenty, and he's definitely a wheeler and dealer as far as parts and, and such go. Since I met Tony, uh, we've kept in touch, and I, I've threatened to get him here in the studio, but then finally got the studio together slash garage, as you can see in the background. It's nice. And um, thank you. And so we're here tonight, and we're just gonna we're gonna drill Tony about his life and how he got to where he's at. So, is there anything you want us to know specifically about Mr. Tony, uh, shop owner, motorcycle enthusiast, surfer? I like to skateboard. Skateboarding has you know it's it's taught me never to give up. You That's go, legit. You go out and you take a beating, and you get up and you do it again. And you really can apply that to, you know, all aspects of your life. So. I've known a few skaters that uh, have, not verbatim, but pretty much that same phrase. You just, you can't get, if you want to get better, you can't give up. Just don't give up. Whatever the fuck it is you're doing, don't give up. <laughs> well, we're going to come back to that for sure. So, Tony, tell us a little bit about you growing up uh, as a child, uh, where you grew up at. Well, uh, you know, my family fled Vietnam back in uh, 75 after the fall of Saigon and uh, we moved to the states we moved initially we're at a refugee camp in Camp Pendleton here in California and we ended up uh, getting sponsored by a church in Hawaii in Honolulu Mm. so we were there from 76 to about 79 and we moved back here to California I grew up in Orange County um, in Tustin and what was that? I mean, do you have any recollection of actually like moving or fleeing with your family? No, not not then. Um, I remember coming to California from Hawaii and uh, asking. I I had some money, some U.S. currency. I, I must have had I don't know like six dollars, <laughs> uh, and asking my mom if the money was still going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> we made it over to California. Kind of funny. <laughs> it makes sense, right? As a kid? To a six-year-old, it, it sure did. Yeah. 
So you landed in Tustin. Landed in Tustin. And what was what was that like growing up in Tustin? What were you into, and how long did you live there? Uh, I lived in Tustin. Let's see. I went to Tustin Memorial, you know, CT. Went to Tustin High School, um, Hillview, which is a continuation school. It's where the, all the awesome kids went. <laughs> I went to a continuation school too. See. See. <laughs> You, it, it's funny because they take you to a smaller school and they surround you with like your best friends. Yeah. And they, I mean, they expect you to excel. It's funny because there used to be this little hill um, at the end of the field. And we used to run up there and like, you know, get high during class. And <laughs> if the teachers came after us, we would hop the fence and bail for the rest of the day. <laughs> so after so after a while, the, the teachers were like, you know what? We'll just let them get high and let them come back to class. And they <laughs> we don't, don't want them to ditch. Exactly. So we come back just totally blazed and, you know, still not do anything. It's continuation school. Right. Well, but you were able to focus easier, right? High? Absolutely. See? I, I focused on, you know, when I was going to get the next uh, Chili Billy. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a funny time growing up. Um, Tustin was cool. A lot of good friends. Um not too many Asian kids until I reached high school. Mm-hmm. I was actually—I think I was the only Asian kid in uh, in elementary school in, in at Tustin Memorial. That must and have been early on in Tustin's heritage. That was early on in Tustin's <laughs> heritage. Yeah. I say that not to sound racist, but it's just a fact that Irvine and Tustin are mostly Asian. Well, I take it back. I would say mostly Asian, Persian. Uh, it seems to be. Uh, a bigger influx now of, of of Middle Eastern culture. Yeah, back in the early '80s, you know, it was I was just surrounded by a bunch of white kids. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I got into you know other things, not even just white kids, just things that we did. We were riding BMX bikes. We were building BMX bikes. Uh, we we're throwing dirt clods at each other. You know, as I got older, um, there were other Asian kids at my school, at my high school. But by then, I was already programmed to like want to ride motorcycles and fucking mm-hmm. build hot rods and you know i loved muscle cars as a kid it's pretty rad was it kids around you that specifically influenced you to that or i mean were their dads into those things or uh you know one of my good friends scott who i, I hadn't seen in years i just saw him a couple months ago but his dad had a gto mm-hmm. and i went scott was the first one of our friends to get a license okay so he's 16, and he's driving around a bunch of 14, 15-year-old kids and his dad's <laughs> GTO. And obviously, you know, anytime you start uh, from a stop, yeah, pedal to the metal. Right. And just light them up, and we'd all just be giggling. and Stoked. Totally stoked. Super fun time. <laughs> but, yeah, everybody's dad was into hot rods and bikes and stuff. So, so that definitely played a part in... in- you think you going kind of that direction as far as motorcycles and that um my brother uh my second oldest brother tim um he had a bike i had actually ended up getting it from him but it was an old ninja 600 street bike and nice. i rode the shit out of that this was before the helmet law right so we used to ride you know palm springs and we used to cruise balboa balboa back in like the uh 80s early early 90s was like the spot to cruise do you remember the volkswagens cruising through there oh yeah that was probably in one of those oh yeah <laughs> we well you didn't you know bikes volkswagens like you just cruise whatever you had yeah you'd cruise you'd see girls cruising in station wagons and you, you know you try to get in there <laughs> right <laughs> 
we would cruise in my friend's uh, dad's Suburban, and we'd roll, you know, like 10 deep in the thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Before the seatbelt law, obviously. Way, yeah, before the seatbelt, you could fill up, you know, a Ford Ranger with like 10 kids in the back. <laughs> when things were cool. When things, yeah, you know, it's funny, I, thinking back then, I always thought, you know, we can't get away with shit. This, yeah. is, this is lame. You know, we can't do anything. And you looking back, it's like, good God, I can't believe the stuff we got away with. Yeah, compared to now. Compared to now. <laughs> we were stupid, young, destructive kids, you know. That's okay. I think, you know, I think that through those times, I know I can speak for myself, and I'm sure you may agree, you may not, but through those times and the things we did, stupid or not, we learned a lot. You know? Oh, yeah. We learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our friends and, you know, maybe what true friendship is and all that stuff. You know, I always had to learn things my way, the hard way, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I couldn't just listen to anybody. I had to do it myself. Right. If they say, hey, Tony, you're going to, if you jump off that fucking cliff, you're going to get hurt. I'd be like, you know what? No, I'm not. And I would jump it and I get hurt. And I'd be like, okay, well, I probably won't be doing that again. You came back up and you were like, I landed wrong. If I jump right, I won't. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear that. Uh, my wife, I think, would agree that I learn things the hard way. I don't listen to people unless I really respect them. And there's probably very few people that I actually respect that I would heed their advice. You know, it, it took me a long time to figure out exactly how dumb I was and how little <laughs> I knew. Yeah. Honestly, it, I, I think well into my 30s, I was like, you know what? I don't know shit. I really don't. I need to start acting right more. Hmm. I mean, you know, up until... You said that was in your 30s? In my 30s, yeah. Okay. I mean, probably until around 35. Like, I was a wild animal. You know, I lived up in Mammoth for a number of years. And um, from 96 to 2006, those years were... It was buck wild up there, man. It was like the Wild West. Hmm. Me and a bunch of kids, and we'd all we wanted to do was snowboard and right. party and kick ass. That's all we did. <laughs> In no particular order. Right. And that was, so how old were you when you were up there? Uh, 96. Uh, 20s? Mid-20s? 25, 24, somewhere okay. around there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time because um, this was before NRS had moved into the town and taken it over. It was mm -hmm. still like a ski town. And there were still uh, ski bums. Mm. You know, guys that just did it just so they could get on the hill. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think, uh, talk about getting away with stuff, I don't think there's very many of those left. I mean, now that, you know, ski, no. ski town is not ski town, it's like ski city. There's that, <laughs> there's cameras everywhere, everybody's yeah. got phones, everything's being recorded. Every aspect of your life is being recorded. And Yeah. We should talk about that later on. I want to find out how you got to the point where, uh, at some point you decided that you loved motorcycles so much you wanted to work on them. What, at what point did that come? I mean, were you tinkering on things before that? Well, coming from a refugee family, um, we kind of, you know, I had I had uh, four older brothers and an older sister. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a whole lot of money. You know, my earliest recollections of my parents were uh, my mom, she worked at a McDonald's in Hawaii. Okay. My dad worked at a uh, Chevron station pumping gas in the full service. So mm -hmm. not a whole lot of money was, you know, <clears throat> being a thrown at us and we had to fix everything we had yeah. whatever it was cars chairs you know my mom sewed everything it's it when we came to hawaii 
uh, to California from Hawaii, all the kids around here had like corduroy shorts, like mm-hmm. OP corduroy shorts. Yep. My mom couldn't afford that, so she made me some, but she made me some with, like, the fatter cords oh, okay. instead of the regular skinny cords that all the other <laughs> kids had. So I was embarrassed, but I still had to rock it, and I right. wish I still had that stuff. And That'd be, First of all, it would be seriously considered vintage now. It would be very vintage, but it, it would be cool that my mom made it for me. She, yeah. made, she made a lot of our clothes. That's pretty awesome. Which was not awesome at the time, right. but thinking back on it, you know, like, she was a very amazing woman. There's... um. I mean, obviously we can talk more about this, you know, after we get through uh, the meat of your interview. But I, I think that that's a, a value that has been lost in mostly in society, especially on the West Coast that I've seen. I mean, you have people getting back into like making things and repairing things, but we definitely come from a, I don't know if you would agree, but we definitely come from a kind of throw it away society. Of, yeah, disposable society. Yeah. It, once it's broken, throw it away. Yeah. Good thing they didn't do do that with all these old Harleys, huh? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they probably did that. You know, I heard this story about Fidel. You know, once they did the uh, embargo, mm-hmm. he took, I, I guess, 40 or 50 Harleys in Cuba and put them in a big hole and buried them. This is, I think this is urban legend. I don't know if it's true or not. I was going to say, we need to find that hole. Apparently, there's a Harley graveyard somewhere in Cuba. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you know anything about this and you're listening to this show and you're from Cuba and you know anything about the whole, I think we need to investigate. That's what we need to do. Yeah, go find those things, man. <laughs> They're all panheads. They're all panheads oh, and knuckleheads. Waste. Speaking of knuckleheads. I, Speaking of knuckleheads, you're yeah. talking to one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? that uh, was I, good. I've been wanting one for a long time, um, and I, I just got my little grubby hands on some finally. And tell us about tell us about that because I think I have a feeling this is going to intertwine into the shop and and all that because this is kind of the core of your business. I mean, n- the core I should say is service, but you're very very good at the hustle. I, I was going to say the hustle and the clothes. Like I, I started a hashtag a while back that says always be choppering, but I think the real meaning behind that the always be closing. Always be closing. I think that really fits you. It you and know, not in a, not in a negative way. No, no. It, it's like this game. It's it's a lot of fun for me, um, finding the stuff and negotiating and you know just getting them to like why would they sell it to me rather than somebody else? Right. You know, and or why would they buy from me? Why would they? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my experience, uh, you, you know, I just I, I I keep it as real as I can. Um, I you know I tell it like it is, and you know if you come in your if you come into the shop and you don't need a repair. You're not going to get it. Right. Which is good. If you say, you know, my valves are knocking, I listen to them. Well, you know, it's not really that bad. I think you're okay for now. Then you probably are. Yeah. And, and to add to that, there's a lot of, and I've heard this put out there before, and this is no dig on, you know, the mechanics that are out there working their butts off. But I think that our mechanics, like mechanics have become, you know, parts changers. And I've heard people say that to where, unless it's really in-depth work, you're rebuilding a motor, you're doing a valve job, you're, you know, you're doing some serious work, um, you know, replacing bearings, whatever it may be. It's really just, and I'm speaking mostly to the Harley side of things, you're mostly just getting parts taken off and put on the bike. Well, I mean, with Japanese bikes, you know, Honda and Yamaha, there's not a whole lot going on there because those things work. Right. 
and they'll work for a long time. They won't work. You know, you'll you'll put it away. And you'll come back 15 years later, and just clean the carpet. And it'll, start, it'll fire right up. Right. But with Harley, if I'm just a Joe Blow Harley owner, you know, I went and bought a new whatever 2009 or 2014, whatever it may be, and I take my bike into the dealership. There's a good chance that whether I need service or not, I'm going to get charged for some stuff. Yeah, I think you know. I mean, some of those dealerships they have a pretty serious overhead. Yeah. Which you know, I'm lucky. I'm actually very lucky. Uh, I have a fairly low overhead, and uh, it allows me to provide. I don't know, uh, better service, cheaper service. Yeah. Um. And anyone who's been to your shop knows that, um, well, how about this? If you haven't been to the shop, you'll know that it's not cheaper service in the terms of like cheaper parts, cheaper, um, you know, doing cheap work, shoddy work. It's in the sense that you don't have a huge place. I mean, it's not gigantic in the sense of like a dealership. You know, you don't have like six bays, right? Right. You have your, your place where you're working on. You have your showroom. You've got uh, a machine shop, so to speak, out back. And then you've got your customer parking out in back. That's <laughs> so, it, man. So you're allowed, I mean, being that you're the business owner, you're allowed to pass on that savings to people who come and get work done. Right. And even so much as I've seen a lot of your friends who come by, I mean, this is kind of my, one of my first impressions of Tony. I come over to the shop, and there's more people working on bikes than Tony and Eric. You know, that's the type of person that you are. You know, my girlfriend, uh, Andrea, she calls it Free Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> Only on Fridays, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, no, like just this one Friday, this guy had broken down the freeway and he'd broken his chain. So, you know, we he limped, he pushed his bike to my shop mm-hmm. and he didn't have a dime on him. So, of course, we're going to get him back on the road. Right. And then, you know, somebody else came and like, hey, I need, I can't get this part off. So, you know, we bust out the impacts and we buzz it off for him. I'm not going to charge you, you know, any money to use my impact right. for me to use my impact on your thing for five minutes it, right. or less. Well, but, and, and a lot of people think that there's not a place for that in society. I mean, some people don't uh, live their life that way or do their business that way. Yeah. You know, uh, there's just, I noticed a, a lack of customer service. Hmm. I think just not in, not in just motorcycles, but across the board. Mm-hmm. A lot of people show up their jobs and they just work and they're just there to collect their paycheck. They're clocking in, they're clocking out. They really don't give a shit. Yeah. And I mean, at the shop, you know, I people text me all day and all night long with their problems, and I try to get them on the road. I don't know. I, I try to have some sort of relationship with my customers, yeah. and that's what brings them back. I I would fully agree with that. I mean, I think there's a point where. Maybe it's a societal thing, just, you know, our, a generational thing. I'm sure our grandparents and our parents and our grandparents' parents saw, you know, greater customer service, more politeness, more kindness, more compassion. And then you get to our generation and it's really a me, me, me. Right. Instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, social media has really changed the marketplace. Um, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, I would probably have to send out mailers to everybody mm-hmm. in Fountain Valley and Orange. Recycler. The recycler, yeah. <laughs> um, and just hit at the penny saver mm-hmm. and, and probably hit, I don't know, 1% of my target market. Mm-hmm. 
And with social media, like everybody who follows me on Facebook or Instagram or Tumblr or what have you, it's it's direct marketing. Yeah. And it's not even really, it's, it's not like I'm marketing anything. It's not like you're just, spending time coming up with a marketing scheme. You're just yeah. being you. I'm just, yeah, I'm like there's a funny photo of my dog, so I put it up. Or yeah. I, I made the sissy bar for the so-and-so and I put it up. I got this bike for sale or this part for sale. And there's a dude, Chopper Swapper. I think he's out of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And he has really, really changed the way um, parts are being bought and sold. Yeah, I would agree. Everybody now hashtags everything Chopper Swapper. Yeah. And you can find anything. And I sell stuff on there so fast. I saw, I had a, a knucklehead wheel on there yesterday and it sold in 10 minutes. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and how much does he charge for that service? He charges $0, zero. you know. So the first few that he did for me, I, I sent him some money and then I saw him he was printing shirts. Mm-hmm. So now, like, anytime I do something big, I just buy a couple of shirts from them and I pass them out to people at the shop. See, I didn't even know that. So that's pretty awesome. For those of you who are, who are watching this or listening to the podcast, if you uh, follow Chopper Swapper or if you use Chopper Swapper and you actually buy things through Chopper Swapper, you know, he's not making any money off that. He hasn't contacted me or Tony to do a plug on the show at all. No. Um, but you know what? I have uh, interacted with him Um through either direct messaging or through a, a, a cat, a, email. what do you call it, a post. Okay. I don't think I did email with him, but, and everything that this guy does, you know, he does for free with Chopper Swapper. So do yourself a favor and, and support him. Support those who are supporting you, you know? So how do you, do you feel like, I mean, what I get from what you're saying is that it's really, social media has really changed your business all around. It, it changes the way uh, I, I mean, I don't really consider it marketing. Yeah. Um, Instagram's like a fun little app. That's all. It, that's all I see it as. Right. Well, and you and you obviously use it for that a lot of times too. I mean, you've got you've got some stuff that you post about uh, the best of. Uh, oh man, Craigslist. And- so if, if anyone out there has ever sold in Craigslist, you've you've all gotten the same text that I've gotten. And you know, growing up when I was a kid, me and my friends, all we did was bagging each other, just quick comebacks. And yeah. if if you know, and sending it back in text form, you have actually a couple minutes to think about it. Right. Before we had, you know, <laughs> three seconds tops, yeah. and, you, and you're out of time. We're on the next bag. But via text, you know, you can be very, very witty and very, very funny. And I started this thing. I, I was doing this a couple years ago, I think, or right when – I don't know when Instagram first started. But I started taking screenshots of it and posting them up, and uh, it, people like it. I think it's funny. <laughs> I mostly do it to entertain myself, but then, you know, I send it out there for everybody else. Yep. Sad for the people who are texting and wanting to get parts and such, but funny for all of us who get to see it because they're pretty witty. I mean, some of them can seem pretty harsh, but it's it's the harsh reality of dealing with things off or people off of Craigslist, you know? Right. I try to be, uh, if I'm buying something off Craigslist or if I'm just inquiring, you know, they'll say, send text for questions or whatever. I was trying to buy some camping gear. So I'm I'm texting this person that said they posted all this gear and it said twenty five bucks. Well, what they didn't say obviously in the in the thing was it for each. Yeah, twenty five bucks each or starting at twenty five. Right. So I'm texting this person saying, you know, how much for this? What's is it twenty five bucks for the lot? And they were nice, you know. So I tried I try to be forthcoming like that. Like, hey, I'm not coming at you with with cash right now. I just want to know what you have. Right. And I'll let you know if I want to pursue buying it. And I usually get a good response that way. 
but some of the things I've seen for you, you know, it's like, hey, bro, what's the lowest you're willing to go? And you're that, like, what's the most you're willing to pay? That's the standard answer. <laughs> yeah. what's, they always ask, what's the cheapest I can get it for? And I say, what's the most I will sell it to you for? I mean, they're asking me to negotiate for them, and I yeah. will negotiate for them, but I will do it very poorly, you know? Right. You'll do it in your favor. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> right. Well, tell us then, let's back up a step and tell us about Landspeed. How did Landspeed get started? Landspeed got started. Um, I was working for another shop called Tech Nine. It was like a sport bike shop. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, out to lunch with my friend Janae and my friend Jesse, and we were just talking about, um, we're talking about, Janae does like mar- so, like marketing for Hollywood and stuff, and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do this thing, where a website where I got a bunch of, mo- like a motorcycle database together, mm-hmm. and anytime you wanted to rent a bike, you'd go to the motorcycle database and pick up whatever bike you wanted, and we'd bring it to you, and we were thinking of names, and we came up with Land Speed. Um, and then it kind of just got, you know, thrown on the back shelf. Mm-hmm. And then I was working for this other shop, and uh, the owner, Felix, had kind of, uh, he had he had his own, he had some personal issues, mm-hmm. some inner demons he had to deal with. So the shop ended up folding, and I was working out of the garage, and I moved to, to my friend's little shop, and then another shop, and I opened up my own shop in a smaller spot, next, actually next door to where I'm at now. Hmm. Um, it was like 1,300 square feet. It was just me. It was very dark and lonely. <laughs> this was the desert years for Tony. It really was because anytime there was good surf, I would totally <laughs> blow off work, and I'd wander into the shop at like noon or 1 because I didn't have anybody to answer to. Right. You know, and I'd, and if I surfed for that long, I'd show up just completely drained. Right, of course. You know, so, yeah, it was hard working there by myself. Yeah. And then uh, this this guy, know, a fantastic mechanic, Eric Martinez. Eric worked at Beach Yamaha for a number of years. Okay. And when they parted ways, he was looking to open up his own place. And, like, he and I got to talking. And, you know, he came on board, and he's just this valuable, valuable asset. That's awesome. Eric he's, Eric is pretty fantastic. He is. And, you know, it's not that he's a um, a great dirt bike tech or a street bike guy or a Harley guy. He's just he's very knowledgeable and he's very smart. Mm-hmm. And it's good to have somebody like that at the shop to bounce ideas off of. Or mm-hmm. if, if I get stuck somewhere, you know, the, the third, like just an s- extra set of eyes on something will get you yeah. through some, you know, tough spots. It works both ways. It's it's cool. I I love having Eric there. He's become you know quite indispensable. That's pretty awesome. Not everybody can say that about their workmates. No, Eric <laughs> Eric is awesome. Most dude. people want to dispense of their workmates. <laughs> and and Eric is funny as hell. Yeah. And we get along great. So you open Land Speed, and you're in that small place, and then you move into the, this bigger shop now. Yeah. Th- when I opened up Land Speed. Um, Next door to me, where my shop is now, was a compound pharmacy. Hmm. And the owner of that, you know, came in with his Mercedes and his hot uh, secretary. And he's like, hey, how much are you paying for this? How about if I buy you out? Because I need, I need more space. And it's funny because two years later, I ended up taking over his spot. <laughs> I guess the government had changed some, changed some laws, which put them out of business. Dope. 
Yeah. So I'd always wanted the spot next door. Yeah. And I got it. And there's a loft upstairs. You know, I thought, oh, it'd be so great to live there. Yeah. But your girlfriend didn't think so. Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. Always our chicks grounding us. <laughs> no, she's, no, she is, she's helped me through a lot. She's yeah. gotten me definitely to where I'm at now. That's awesome. Yeah, I balance everything off of her, and I have some terrible, terrible ideas that she shoots down. <laughs> and in retrospect, you know, like, thank God yeah. I had her there. Yeah. I can totally identify. <laughs> so, thank you, Andrea. So, okay, so Landspeed, then how long has Landspeed been open? Um, I was Officially. next door. I was next door for two years, and then this coming May will be another two years so this yeah this coming may will be four years awesome i've been and, doing it and um as far as like your involvement in you know this chopper community because i we kind of started with, i led off with how you're constantly helping folks and i mean we could leave it at that and that's all people would know but i know specifically that you've helped people get to um you know to born free um, I mean, born free. I just want to get them back on the road. Yeah. Honestly, you know, right? People come with ideas, but they don't know how to get reach their ideas, you right. know, reach their dreams. So I just kind of assist. Yeah, that's all I do, man. I, it's, I'm not a bike builder by any means. But you do have some bikes that you want uh, to get built. Of, of course, I've got a lot of projects that are really hard to get to because the service side is is doing good. You know. Which is a good problem to have. It, it's a great problem to have. I'm very lucky, very blessed that um, I have a great cl- uh, customer base. I accept the position, by the way. I'll come in and finish your project bikes. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I may have to ask you a bunch of questions in the in the meantime. But... No problem. <laughs> as long as I don't have to quit my day job, I could just come in maybe for an hour each day, maybe you half know, an hour. It's so hard to get to them. Um, by the end of the day, you know, like around 6 o'clock, things get things quiet down. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm tired. Absolutely. So I'm, I may tinker around with my own stuff, but probably not. Yeah. It takes work. I mean, I, you can't see it here in the back. Well, maybe you can um, in Tony's camera. But in anything that I do, I have to pull things out of the garage to even get to them. And then once I get them out, it's usually a, um, there's a few minutes of, like, mocking it up to look at it. And by the time I finish that, I'm, I'm done. I'm tired. I just want to put it all away and go back inside. So I can imagine, because I've seen your shop, and there are quite a few bikes in there, including your project bikes. And plus then you've got, I know you recently have started building out your your showcase area in the front. I mean, you've got some stuff set up. I've I've been wanting to do that, you know. The the whole shop has been a work in progress since I moved in a year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, When I first moved in, I had a lot of space, and I didn't know what to do with. Yeah. And I filled it up pretty quick. And uh, it just seems like I'm constantly cleaning. I actually recently brought in my nephew mm-hmm. to help sort through all our hardware because <laughs> nobody wants to waste 20 minutes a day looking for 5 sixteenths, 18 nuts. Right. Order, you know? <laughs> right. So I've been doing that, and I've been acquiring little tools here and there and just kind of getting the place dialed in and cleaned up. And I've been trying to get like the showroom area dialed in and right. cleaned up. And I want to, I want, I just need to know where everything is. Right, right. And I mean that helps. That helps also unclutter the the uh, the chaos that can affect you emotionally and mentally from a, from working in a place that's cluttered. Right. So that's good. Um, tell us about your appearance last year at Born Free. 
you had a booth um, or a, oh, a yeah. place. A place. Yeah. Um, I had a booth, uh, and we did this weenie toss. I came up with the idea late night. Um, this must have been a good idea because Andrea said yes. Or maybe she didn't and you just overruled her. <laughs> I think she said yes, but like kind of off the cuff, didn't think it was actually going to happen. Right. But I came up with this the idea for a weenie toss because, well, let me let me backpedal a little bit. I used to have um, ride-in night uh, movie theaters Right. You know, at the, at the shop. I'd show a movie on the back wall. Everybody'd ride in and hang out, and I'd barbecue and stuff. And the next day, there would be a bunch of hot dogs left over. <laughs> so we would throw the hot dogs over the fence at like this little—it's uh, like a little remote control car or something. For some one reason or another, it was on the other side of the fence, mm-hmm. sitting on a rock. So we'd throw hot dogs and try to hit the thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> when it, when it got slow, we would we'd gamble back there, right. you know, betting like five dollars see who could hit the hit the car. <laughs> Anyways, we came up with this idea for a weenie toss, and I told my friend uh, John Moss. Um, Who's an incredible industrial designer and artist. John is good at a lot of things. Yeah. He, he never ceases to amaze me. Um, but he painted this thing for me, and this girl in a uh, compromised position, <laughs> to Thank say you. the least. Thank you for keeping that PG. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you could throw these hot dogs at this painting and if it went in a certain spot you got one a t-shirt and if it went in the smaller spot you won an oil change <laughs> needless to say it was it was it was a hit there was no oil changes given away no oil changes were given away <laughs> yeah lots of t-shirts went out right which is cool and you know i think i'm gonna do a, a free t-shirt thing maybe next year at born free i'm gonna have my friend come out and mm-hmm. pull t-shirts and just give them away um, that has also been another way for me to market. Like, yeah. I'm not going to make any money selling T-shirts, am I? Who? I don't, I don't Some think people so. do. Some people do. Some people make a lot of money at it. I, I don't know what that's like. I, you know. <laughs> I think for you, what happens is, just from what I've seen, just people knowing that there's a shop that's locally owned, supported, uh, you know, that someone who supports this chopper culture, and it's close by. Right. That in and of itself is pretty huge because there's, it's mostly, I mean, you either, from what I've seen, you get a small shop that's like a, a, maybe the size of my garage or less, like a one car garage. A guy rents it out in his spare time or maybe two guys rent it out and that's their shop. You're not going to, you and I aren't going to go and be able to hang out with them. Even if we became their friends, we're not going to hang out with them and be able to work on our bikes there. That's not how it works. Right. But you have a shop, a professional shop where you do service. You even have uh, dealerships sending you older Harleys that they don't want to work on. Right? That's actually a crying shame. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> but still, that's good for you. It is good for me. It, it you know, it, it's hard to, uh, I can't really wrap my head around that, <laughs> right. how that happened. Right. But anyways, it did happen, you know, and I, I got the kid on back on his bike the next day. And it's a good thing. I have another guy, I think I, I, uh, I threatened to send to you as well, <laughs> a friend of mine at work. I gave him all your information, so I don't know if he's contacted yet, but he's got an older, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a shovelhead. Okay. And he tried taking it to a couple dealers, and they just said, yeah, we don't work on those. Right. You know who uh, sends me a lot of business is Kirk over at Sporty Parts. Okay. He has a little, um, he sells parts in Fullerton. 
mm-hmm. sports throwing, mostly Ironhead stuff. And not too many people work on Ironheads. Yeah. I work on whatever. Right. I mean, you know, if it's slow at the shop and your uh, lawnmower's not working, bring it in, man. <laughs> compression check. Yeah, we'll do a compression check. <laughs> See where we're at. Clean out the carb, go. Of course. <laughs> we'll race it later. Well, let's talk about um, maybe what your future vision for land speed is. Um, you know, obviously, you just said, you know, you're not going to try and make a living off of selling T-shirts and merch. But you do have a good collection of parts that you come across. And you put those up for sale. Excuse me. And um, so, and you do service, and and so, what's your vision for land speed, uh, future wise? Um, I kind of like where where we're at right now. You know, I wouldn't mind expanding a little bit more, maybe hiring another tech or two, mm-hmm. and so I can actually work on my own stuff. <laughs> so, I can... so you could be a, a business owner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. Without I, the it, stress. It's funny because I wear I wear I do wear a lot of hats at the shop. I would like to wear fewer hats. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I, I think Born Free is the only show here in Orange County. It'd be cool to have another one, you know, maybe like, a, like an uninvited builder show. Yeah. I've been hashtagging a lot of uninvited builders, like for the lo- a lot of local guys who are building cool shit. Yeah. There are, you know, that's the kind of the thing that since this culture, I guess since I came into the culture is what I'm trying to say, which was, you know, only a couple of years ago, but I've actually seen it expand, you know, exponentially. And I think that's a good thing in some ways. Obviously, you're going to have people coming in, and that hashtag and that that buzzword of hipster gets thrown around a lot. But everybody's got to check out, you know, what they like and what they, right, if they really want to get into it or what they want to do. So you're going to have people influx of people coming in and out. But the one good thing is you have a lot of people that maybe didn't know they even had a talent for for building bikes or making parts or machining things or whatever or painting. Right. That are now, you know, starting to come to their own. Right. And who knows, you know. So there, there is a huge, uh, a huge community there. Yeah, you know, there, there's a true art to it. Um, who was I just thinking of the other day that was I thought was a great, great artist? I mean, a lot of mechanics are. Yeah. You know. I, I can't even, I've, it's totally evaded me. <laughs> well, and to add to your point of... Uh, the fact that it would be cool to have another show, because uh, I think I derailed us, is that um, there are some other cool things going on, like um, the man behind Lady Hump, Alan. Right. Alan does a lot of cool things. I mean, I think he at some point had, you know, not made a promise, but basically had said, I'm going to have at least, you know, a, one event a month or one event a week or some crazy thing like that, and has done a good job at Alan putting is, stuff together. Alan is good at that. Alan is good at that. Um, he gets together with the guys at Gaster Lounge, and mm-hmm. they do a lot of cool stuff. They're doing a Halloween ride next, I think, next week. The full costume Halloween yeah, ride. Yeah, full costume. <laughs> we we would do one. Me and my friends Brian and uh, and Bryce and a couple other cats, we would get together and do, like, we'd call it the Halloween death ride. Nice. <laughs> and a couple of years we dressed up as, like, the Mad Max guys. and That's awesome. Now it's just kind of been whatever. I think last year I went as Bruce Lee in the uh, yellow jumpsuit. That's epic. <laughs> the, the fat, uh, retired Bruce Lee. <laughs> lies. He's telling lies. As far as being fat, he's in shape. He surfs. He can't be out of shape and surf. Oh, there's lots of fat surfers that rip. <laughs> I'm not one of them, but there are plenty of them. Nice. Nicely played. Well, um, there's, there's two questions that I always like to ask in the interview, and, and I'm going to start with the first 
Um, and people have many, many different views uh, or interpretations, I should say, of this question. Both questions, actually. So you interpret it how you think it should apply to you. Um, but I like to ask, what's the worst thing that you've had to experience uh, in your life to date? Um, I vanished off the face of the earth uh, <laughs> for a number of years. Um, You're being serious. I'm being totally serious. Okay. Yeah, I thought no. you were starting maybe joking. But, but. No, no, I, I did some... Uh, I went on vacation, we'll, we'll call it that, mm-hmm. um, for about 30 months. Wow. In some pretty harsh areas hmm. with some awful people. And uh, that has actually given, has changed my whole perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. From That's really transforming from being that wild, crazy snowboarder kid who had, you know, zero fucks. Right. Like, I just didn't, back then, I didn't give a shit. Now I have a lot of respect for people, and it's just really changed my outview, my outlook mm-hmm. on on the world, on people, and how you treat people. Um. Yeah, that was a that was a hard time. That was probably the hardest thing I'd ever had to do. Was that uh was your vacation uh a self taken vacation or was it one that was imposed upon you? Federal. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. That's but heavy. it was it was an ugly time in my life and you know, I I just I disappeared. A lot of people didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I didn't know what happened. Yeah. It I a victim of circumstances, unfortunately. Yeah. And I got tied in some stuff that I had no business being tied into, but... I have a buddy that that happened to, actually. You know, the way the feds work, they just take you. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, fishing, you know, big net. They just grab. They they really do. And and some of those federal laws, the guidelines they have, they really don't give the judges any power. Yeah. A lot of... Uh, a lot of power lies in the prosecution. It's it's very unfair. It's very skewed. Hmm. That's heavy, man. I got to be honest with you. In the three seasons I've been doing this, that's the that's right up there with some of the heaviest answers I've had. I mean, I've had you know I lost my mom, and this was really difficult, or I you know something happened. I've lost my mom and dad. Hmm. Um, but and I'm you know they lost them. Thank the Lord before I went on my vacation because that would have been. That would have been heavy. That would have been twice as heavy. Yeah. What, um, and this is usually the follow-up question, because I like to try and end on something that's uh, like a more positive. You know, some people take that question of the You, the you know, I, it, it was a hard time for me, but I, I gained a lot out of it. That's you what know, I was going to say. I learned a lot out of it. Yeah. So would I like to get that time back? You know, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Every day when I wake up at five or six in the morning, I go and I go till late. You know, I I, I run twelve to fifteen hour days, all day long. It's a lot. Of every, hours. every day, every day I, I I run. I go until I can't go anymore, and I go home. Mm-hmm. I eat something, and I'm I'm out cold. That's hard work. But you know what? Uh, I I do my best to do the right thing, and it makes me sleep like a like a baby. Yeah. I have no regrets. I think I think every day when I go to sleep, my day was well spent. Not a lot of people can say that. I mean, I sit here before you and know that there's some nights I, I lay in my bed and think, you know, I really didn't apply myself at all today. Excuse me, I'm not winking at you. I got dust or something in my eye. <laughs> but I, I lay in bed and I think, you know, 
I didn't do the best that I could. And that's, uh, it doesn't haunt me, but it definitely leaves me, um, it leaves me with a sense that I know I'm not doing the best I can. Like for work, you work for somebody, you should be giving your all, you know, but I know. If you work for somebody, you know, what you're really doing is you're selling the best hours of your day mm -hmm. to that person. Yeah. Your, your time, it really is currency. Yeah. So it, at the end of the day, it's, it's not all about work. Take time out for yourself. Be sure you take time out for yourself. Like early, early morning when the world's still asleep, yeah. I'm out in the water, and, you know, all those guys are out in the water, and this is our time. Yeah. That's, that's wisdom right there, ladies and gentlemen. Tell us about maybe what the, the best thing that you've experienced in life to date. Uh, wow. A lot of things, you know. My my girlfriend Andrea has been she's played a pivotal role in where I'm at now. She really has. She's brought a lot of she's made things that didn't make sense make sense hmm. to me anyways, you know, getting like it's like having Eric in the shop an extra set of eyes on a problem. She's like an extra set of eyes on your life. On my life, absolutely. Yeah. Um just this last year, this last year has been really good for me. You know, a lot of good things have happened. Um, as far as finances, this is like the best I've ever done. Like in the last 42 years, this is the yeah. best I've ever done. <laughs> I can go out, eat whatever I want, whenever I want. And that honestly, like it hasn't always been like that. Yeah. I'm sure it's not like that for a lot of people. Right. And it's, it's not like I'm rolling in money. I just, I, you know, like I can, when I go to gas station, I fill up my, my truck. Yeah. That has never happened to me before. I don't have a brand new truck, but when I do need gas, I will fill it up. Yeah. You know, I, I pay my insurance on time. I, I pay all my bills on time. It, not everybody can say that right now. Not everybody can <laughs> say that right now. So, so I, I am very lucky, very blessed. You know, 2014 has been good to me. Good. To say the least. And I've been doing my best to, you know, kind of give back everybody that comes in well it shows and and i think i started out saying this that uh your character to me showed through even you know the first time we had a conversation sitting at the at the benches at cooks um there was something i'm mean, amidst all those guys not saying anything about those guys but just there, there was something that stuck out to me about your character and i'm glad that that you took the opportunity and that i took the effort also to to communicate with you and and you know become acquaintances and friends and well you know i mean at the end of the day we're all just people i'll talk to anybody i don't care right i don't, I don't care if you're the president of the united states or some dude bugging me for money you know this <laughs> this guy approached me at the gas station not too long ago and i knew he was panhandling mm -hmm. and right when he got to me before he could say it i asked him for money <laughs> <laughs> nice i disarmed him and he was i caught him off guard he's like oh well uh, i got 96 cents was he going to give you the 96 cents? He, he gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. No. It's funny. I watched this video online, and it was this kid going around to different people, like, eating and asking them for food, and they wouldn't give him any food. Have you seen this yeah, video? Yeah, I've seen this one. And then they give a homeless guy a pizza, mm -hmm. and the homeless guy's sitting there, you know, on the bench eating the pizza by himself, and some kid rolls up and asks for a slice, and homeless guy's like yeah you can you can have a slice of pizza yeah they did that with a couple people and, and each time the homeless person always gave them you know whatever half or some of what they had to eat yeah very other, cool yeah i think it shows to your point i think it shows that when we're comfortable 
or when we feel comfortable, um, you know, we're not so apt to, to want to open ourselves up or be able to be generous. But when you have nothing less left to lose, you know, what do you, what do you care about being embarrassed in public, giving somebody some food? What do you care about? Um, you, it just doesn't matter. None right. of that stuff matters anymore. Right. Yeah. Tony, thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm stoked that you were the first video cast. <laughs> Me too. No, this was this was cool. I'm I'm glad we didn't you know, we we talked about all kinds of stuff. It didn't like just bike this, bike that. Yeah. That's not what it's about. I mean, I was know. I wasn't sure what I was getting into when I said I had agreed to, you know, come on Chopper Profits. Well, we're gonna do the technical podcast or the technical cast next. We're gonna talk all about bikes. No, I'm kidding. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like I like I said before, you know, I'm not a bike builder. Yeah, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I'm just I'm just a mechanic. I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to keep the lights on, keep everybody around me happy. Well, regardless of that, and I agree with you. I think that you're what you do. Uh, you affect people around you. And there's not too many people that do that in a positive manner nowadays. So I think that's a good thing, and I, I give you props for that. Well, everybody, I, should, everybody should do that. I mean, I think it's your social responsibility mm-hmm. to take care of the people around you. Yeah. Not and everybody it, feels that way, though, nowadays. If something's, if, if something's wrong is going on, you see it, you, know, you, you are responsible to step up to say something at the very least. Yeah. I would think. You just had to look around at, at uh, what's going on as far as, um, in my opinion, uh, police overstepping their uh, their abilities or their, I shouldn't say abilities, their... They're creating crime is what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, straight up murder and, and brutality and all that stuff. And, and what's catching up to, and not every, so don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're a law enforcement of any kind, I don't hate law enforcement. And I don't think Tony hates law enforcement. Not at all. But I think that there are there's an element to any uh, group, club, gang, whatever you want to call it, that uh, has the that corrupt uh, um, elements. It has those corrupt elements. You know, uh, Peter Parker's uncle, Uncle Ben, mm-hmm. said, "With great power comes a greater responsibility." Amen. And a lot of guys aren't uh, living up to that standard. Yeah, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it in the news. We're seeing it uh, online. In fact, I I don't watch any mainstream news. Uh, for the most part, I may catch a you know video here and there online by accident, but most of the news I see are you know Vice and, and uh, media channels that are independent, and they report and they're showing you know videos uploaded by you know people, other people actually taping police brutality and things like that. And I forget what got us off on this kick, but uh, not everybody in society wants to to step up and, and maybe speak out against that. But if I saw someone you know someone being beat down by police. You better believe I would pull my bike over and, and say something. Because, you would, have, you, yeah, you should. Because that could be me, that could Absolutely. be you. Absolutely, and we could have done nothing it could, wrong. It could be our moms. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's definitely it's somebody's something. Right. So yeah, you you need to really step up, and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I've been watching. Um, I haven't had cable in almost twenty years. Hmm. Everything I get is from the internet or from you know facebook no right <laughs> i get all my news from facebook yeah right <laughs> i get a lot of my laughs from facebook right there is some funny shit going on in there facebook. is some pretty funny stuff the rest of the crap that people are posting the you know what's funny is a lot of like the fake stuff people are posting mm-hmm. 
And then they and then they say, "Hey, it's not fake, or it is fake. I snoped it. Like Snopes fake. Everything's fake. Right? It's all a bunch of zeros and ones." So there's that saying, right? And my dad used to tell me this: "Believe uh, nothing. Excuse me, nothing of what you hear and half of what you see." Right. Well, nowadays we see a lot, but what we see can be easily altered. Of course. So I think the new saying should be: "Believe none of what you hear and none of what you see, unless you experience it yourself." I mean, that's it's really hard. To experience things virtually, unless you were there. Right. No. Yeah. There's a lot of disinformation going on out yeah, there. Yeah. For sure. So, do your part, people. Stay sharp. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have problems staying sharp, go follow Tony on Instagram at Land Speed Motorcycle Shop. That's it. Um, if you want to, I want to see some funny stuff. If you want to look at pictures of my dog, definitely follow me. <laughs> She's the boss. You have to go look at her and and see how she runs the shop. She's pretty funny. You know, if if not that, then check out the uh, the hashtag best of Craigslist. That's a good one for sure. Um, I was talking to my friend Jesse Dauber. He is known as Sketchy Tank on okay. Instagram. He's an illustrator. Great artist. Great, great artist. But we were kind of laughing at doing a little toilet book of, uh, you know, it's shaped like an iPhone. You open it up and it's got my text <laughs> to these fantastic. people. And on the other side, he'll draw like, you know, like what's going on in, in the uh, text. I would buy it for sure. And I, I would push it, you know, advertise it out to the audience for sure because that would be funny. I think it would be pretty funny. Awesome. I, I probably could only sell it for like, you know, 50 cents a book or something. Oh, it's a toilet book, you know. <laughs> and for the publishing costs nowadays, it, it might be pretty uh, inexpensive to put out. So Yeah, right. All right. Well, Tony, thank you for being on Chopper Profits. No, hey, thanks for having I'm, me. I'm glad to have you on. And uh, we'll, we'll keep tabs with you because I know that uh, there's a certain shovel head, I think, that's still in your showroom. That I would love to have someday. So, <laughs> more than likely, if it's mine, it won't be you know getting finished anytime soon. So, yes, lots of uh, basket cases here at the shop. <laughs> and if you need some some parts, uh, there's some rare parts. I know he does deal in some rare parts. He's got a rare parts room. Um, not everybody gets to see that. You guys, everybody who shows up and check stuff out, I don't care. Dang it, I'm not. Special. It's all just a bunch of metal. At the end of the day, you're more important than the metal. And that's what I like about this guy. He gets it. People are more important. That's what this podcast is about. It's about showing that people are what matter. These things that we ride and love and put our passions into and all that, they're going to fade away. At the end of the day, they're just things, you yeah. know. Yeah. Chopper, chopper this, chopper that, cafe. You know, yeah, come down to Huntington on any given Saturday morning. You can see me riding around my scooter. <laughs> I, I ride a scooter. I I love riding my scooter. It's got surf racks on it. It literally crushes PCH. It's awesome. I take that thing everywhere. <laughs> He's not lying. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not lying whatsoever. <laughs> now you got to Instagram a picture of have Andrea take a picture of you on your scooter oh, with man. a board or something or whatever or pulling a wheelie whatever and put it up there. I'll I'll, I'll blast one for you soon. <laughs> right. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for being here. All right, thank you.